0: Kia this program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard Kia Wellington B-side stories from Wellington Access Radio, 106.1 FM Stories of the people who make Wellington tick I'm Laura And in the lead up to local elections, I've been having conversations with some of the new, young, and independent candidates running for office this year. Today is another interview in the series. I'm talking to Harry Smith. Harry is a third year student at Victoria University, running for Wellington City Council in the Pukihina Lampton Ward. Kia ora, Harry. Kia ora. So thanks for coming
1: on the show. Thank you.
0: What prompted you to run for City Council?
1: Um, what prompted me was a few weeks ago, actually, well about a month ago now, when I was trying to figure out who I wanted to vote for, and I realized none of them had any costed policies um or in fact any detailed policies. And as a public policy major that you know that shocked me, and I wanted to at least run on some good costed policies that people could you know explore for themselves and then give people a bit more options and authenticity for who they're voting for.
0: Mm-hmm. So how did you know how to write a, a costed policy?
1: Oh, um, well, I used to intern for the Opportunities Party in 2017, mm-hmm. which was all about um, policy, costed policy, and very detailed, researched, you know, best practice type stuff. And as a third year of public policy major, it's what I've been doing for the past few years, and it just came naturally. And it takes about a week to write a costed policy, and now I have four up on my website with more to come, and that is more than every other candidate in Wellington combined oh. at the moment. Yeah.
0: So this isn't a normal thing that people mm-hmm. take the time to do.
1: <laughs> um, it, it's a normal thing at national politics level, right. um, but it's Very unusual in Wellington's local politics, in Auckland-costed policies are much more the norm.
0: Hmm. So tell me about your background, Harry. Where are you from? What brought you to Victoria University, etc.?
1: I'm a local. I grew up in Thorndon, and now I reside in Mount Vic. Uh, My entire family has gone to Victoria University, Um, so all six of us, (laughs) so it just seemed natural, and, you know, being able to live at home, you know cheapest rent around, so I just decided to stick in town, and Mm -hmm. I haven't regretted it.
0: (laughs) Um, Very cool. Uh, So, uh, what drew you to studying public policy?
1: Uh, Well, I'll have to think about this for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a bit of a stats nerd, as well as um, interested in social issues, um, so I figured it was natural that if I wanted to work in the public service, then being a policy analyst and making sense of, you know, figures and data would be what I wanted to do. And then, um, um yeah, well, at first I wanted to be a lawyer and that just wasn't me. That wasn't stats or, um, data driven at all. It was... Um, it wasn't even, you know, ethical, ethics-based or anything. It was what's written down in the law and then you just sort of have to go with it. And I realized, well, then perhaps writing laws and policy and regulations would be much more my thing.
0: Did you do some first-year law papers?
1: I did. Yeah. And I really didn't enjoy it.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not uncommon for people to find law isn't exactly what they thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah. It's... um. I, I thought it was going to be a bit more, you know, discussion about the law and, you know, a bit of debating and back and forth. And then it was just, you know, like getting up, you know, a few, couple of times a day and telling you this is how it is and this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. And it, was just, <laughs> it sucked. I would not recommend it to anyone. Right. <laughs>
0: um and you clearly are quite involved in politics. You, you're, you've engaged in TOP. Can you talk uh, um, about what drew you to that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I'm a member of TOP, but yeah. running as an unaffiliated candidate. Um, obviously, TOP doesn't engage in local elections. Mm-hmm. Um, and what drew me to that was that they had uh, detailed policies, kind of like the Greens have detailed policies too. Um, they're the two parties who are known for that. And what drew it to me was that it gave you something very substantial that you could look at and critique and then criticise and have a bit of back and forth. And it really highlighted something that is not well understood in New Zealand politics, which is that most people seem to argue for the same stuff, basically. Um, They tend to argue for, you know, a bit left-wing social values, um you know a sort of just pretty run of the um run of the mill rate of tax and then um you know just promoting the economy and that sort of stuff and that it doesn't change between the major political parties which means the very adver- adversarial nature of politics doesn't give you anything to to build on because it's just parties attacking each other with no substance behind it
0: hmm. Um I, I have been chatting to young candidates in particular because I perceive there's this there's this emerging movement of young people getting involved in politics. Do you feel like you're part of a movement of young people who are engaging in politics in a new way?
1: Um not particularly. Because I think I've got a a bit of an a more of an old school uh philosophy about representative democracy, which is that your representative doesn't represent you as an individual, they represent policy ideas. And then it is your job as a voter, as an intelligent voter, which all voters are, to go out there and find out what's best for you and then get it implemented, elect people who you like, and then implement it. And that is the people who I want to speak to.
0: And what are the issues that you care about most? What are those policies that you've already uh, mocked up and you're running on this this year?
1: Um, so at the moment, I have a policy on free public transport. Um, free public free transport? Free public transport, which um, well over 100 cities around the world have free public transport. Um, and it has been shown to increase ridership by over 50%. So all journeys that start in end in Wellington, Wellington under my policy would be free. Um, And that is because we are planning on spending $6.4 billion over the next few decades on road infrastructure to favour cars. But, one, lots of people can't afford cars. And two, you don't have um, enough... Well, it's impossible to build your way out of congestion because um, of something called induced demand, which is when you build a road, people see all this empty space and then they decide to drive to work for example, Um, which means you get right back where you started. So what you need to do is you need to much more heavily emphasise public transport than you do at the moment and treat it as an extension of your right to free movement. You know, we can get up, most people can get up and walk where they want. Um, And public transport is an extension of that right because in cities as large as Wellington, you need to be able to get where you go for free with the lowest environmental footprint and with the lowest cost on society.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah. Free public transport, that'll that'll make my um, bus journeys a bit softer on the pocketbook.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. And that is paid for by my second policy, my most controversial policy, actually, which is congestion charging, which everybody loves to talk about.
0: (laughs) Okay, explain what that idea is.
1: Um, So congestion charging or congestion pricing is the idea that um, when people converge into an area like Wellington City, um, coming from mostly from Poro and the Hutt Valley, um, they impose a burden on the local infrastructure. And it is the users of that infrastructure, these people who do not pay rates in the city but come into the city, uh, should pay for some of that infrastructure. So about... So there are sixty thousand cars who come in every day from those cities, and let's say we wanted to make public transport free and pay for that, then that would cost each of those vehicles a dollar sixty, for example, right? Um, to come into the city and charging a dollar sixty w- would reduce congestion by about fifteen to thirty percent, according to a study by Auckland Transport.
0: So. Um- So it's more than just a uh, sort of uh, money-gathering exercise. It's creating an incentive as well.
1: It is. Um, So it's encouraging people to actively shift to public transport. Yeah. To come and see, which the public transport will be free. So they really shouldn't complain. (laughs) But I get a lot of hate on Facebook from people outside of my ward, which is takes far too much time to deal with.
0: Right. (laughs) Um. Okay, and um, how about some of your social policies or yeah. the things that you um, think about um, homelessness and things like that? Yeah,
1: so I have a zero homelessness policy, which is currently being proofread and should be up uh, today when this recording goes up. Great. Um, and the idea is to reduce homelessness to something called functional zero homelessness, which is when... Um, So if you can't stop someone from becoming homeless, they should have access to a safe permanent house, not an emergency accommodation, but a real house, as soon as possible, within days. Um, And they should transition to that with all the social services they need to no longer be homeless, and then eventually rebuild their lives from there. Um, And that will cost about $20 million a year Mm -hmm. um, to tackle the 2,100 homeless people in Wellington. It's 1% of the population.
0: so they need houses to go into, is that, is yes, that also do. part of the policy?
1: Yes, um, so Wellington is currently in the process of building 750 new houses, but because there are um, 2,000 homeless people and the average um, homeless unit size is 1.6 individuals, that means you need another 500 homes to house all those people, so you have to build another 500 uh, um, houses. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not that many. Um, it will cost you know, millions of dollars, but you'll recuperate that over a number of decades.
0: Hmm. Um, now, I would love to hear about how your campaign is going so far. How, how do you find it running for a city council? Oh,
1: um, actually, I have one more policy. Can I talk about it? Yeah, throw F- it yes? in there. Okay. Um, no, so my, my longest policy is something that <laughs> I'm, I'm... It's one I'm proudest of. Right. It's 3,000 words. God, it's... Right. So the like, longest policy by the Wellington Greens, for example, is two sentences.
0: Ah, uh, okay.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's a bit of a difference. Yeah. And um, in Wellington, you have something called differential rating, mm-hmm. which is how we pay for stuff. You get rates based on your property type. And that... Um, the rates actually go up as you intensify the land use, which means you're discouraged from um, having intensive land use and you're much more likely to leave your land empty and vacant, which means land bankers pay lower rates on the dollar than say you and I do.
0: So this is a term that I heard at a council debate um, just a week ago, yeah. and I wasn't quite sure what land banking really was, but can you just explain it to me in a couple of sentences? Okay, so
1: land banking is the idea that uh, people with money to invest buy land and they leave it empty um, until they can sell it at a later date where they'll get capital gains. And capital gains tend not to be taxed in New Zealand mm-hmm. um, for property at least. Um, which means you have um, thousands of properties worth of just empty land sitting around the city and in the outer suburbs where you could ha- house you know many, many people uh, far more than we currently have in Wellington, and the land bankers aren't contributing to any sort of productive you know output at all it's literally just empty land, not even farmland it's mm. completely vacant.
0: Yeah, so um, back to your sort of uh, rates policy. Yep. That's going to help to sort of address yep. that. How how will it solve the issue?
1: Um, so it will um, tax vacant land at a higher rate than what we currently do, and that will um, make the rating system more progressive. And you'll be able to reduce the rates for the bottom forty percent or so of homeowners who tend to be renters, and then the burden will shift to the top 20% of wealthiest Wellingtonians. Mm-hmm. And in the process, you'll raise around one th- uh, 120 million, and about 1,700 vacant homes, which aren't land banked, but are in a similar category, will also be released onto the market at the same time.
0: So they're released onto the market
1: because? Because they're... Um, charged a fee um for keeping them empty and you say well if you simply release it onto the market we won't charge you the fee anymore and it's a win-win.
0: Interesting ah this will save us having to build so many new houses in Wellington although some of that vacant land might also become new houses as well.
1: Absolutely um got it and won!
0: So you're obviously a bit of a policy wonk. Yeah. You, like, love writing your 3,000-word explanations, getting into the detail. Yep. How's the campaign going? How have you been finding it so
1: far? Oh, I've been finding the debates really good. Oh, good. Um, because people who go to debates tend to love policy nerds. Yeah. <laughs> um, because at the debates, I like to do a bit of a fact-check session where, you know, although it's unpopular to criticize other candidates... Um, the fact that they all have such bad policies make it really easy to just tear them apart. And then that seems to be something that the people who go to debates love. On social media, it is a bit of a different story. Although the feedback is overwhelmingly positive, you still get a lot of um, negative pushback of people who tend not to read policies and tend not to live in the area. And you know i i've been called both a communist and a neoliberal in the last 24 hours alone hmm. so
0: <laughs> would you would you say it takes kind of a thick skin to jump into sort of running for public
1: office oh definitely yeah um and you you have to have low expectations too um you, you can't go into it expecting to you know be everyone's best friend and to uh, uh, you know be winning right out of the gate
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but you yeah, know, slowly getting there.
0: So you're, uh, you're a young person, you're yeah. a student, and you're also a policy wonk. Yeah. Um, sorry if that's an offensive term. Oh, it's not oh, at all. Good. <laughs> uh, how would Wellington uh, be different? How would my experience of Wellington be a bit different if mm-hmm. there were people like you uh, more represented on the council?
1: Um, Well, if there were people like me, more people like me on the council, um, you would have better policy, right? So when walking around the city, you would say, spend less, or let's say you're going around the city, you'd spend less time stuck in traffic. You'd be able to get across the city in your buses faster. Um, You would see fewer homeless people because they'd be housed. And when you're back at home, you would be paying lower rates. You would have more income, you know, to, to spend, unless you're in one of the wealthiest households in Wellington in which case you're probably not struggling in the first case. So. Mm.
0: Ah, cool. Uh, uh, just uh, one, one more question because you mentioned you live with your family. I do. So what does your family think of your big bid um, to run for council?
1: Yeah well I, I live with my dad who used to be a lawyer and oh, um, had a stroke so I'll help him out a bit mm-hmm. um, and he's very supportive. He um because he, he was a bit of a policy wonk too, um, except in financial policy, which is a bit different, economics. Um, and, you know, he, he's incredibly supportive and my sisters are incredibly supportive. Uh, my mum, not so much. I don't live with her and she doesn't seem to, mm, doesn't like having discussions about Policy or politics mm. which is yeah
0: it's not for everyone, is it no, it can be not. considered like a bit um, a bit confrontational, maybe,
1: yeah, um definitely, it's just yeah, she just she's still supportive, definitely, but it's it's hard, you know <laughs> sometimes when you go over for dinner and just She's like, What are you up to? And was like still campaigning and she's like, Oh well that's a waste of time.
0: Oh no. <laughs> well, it sounds like you um, also have some people who are your cheerleaders and are helping you and supporting you as well.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. So I've got, you know, friends and family on the campaign, um, and obviously friends who were involved in top are uh, also very supportive, including the um, you know, the party leader and some other people uh, have been incredibly nice and kind and proofread read my policies and stuff which is a big help um which means you're less likely to get criticism later on (laughs) saying your numbers are wrong um yeah but it's obviously as an outsider and or no name in politics it's quite hard compared to you know the the incumbents or people with lots of money um so say my entire campaign budget is about 400 bucks uh which say, Nicola Young, the one of the incumbents, um, received $28,000 in donations from property developers um, for her re-election fund. And then going up against that is very challenging. Um, and the only tool you have to fight back is through being better at debates and having better policy. But I think I've got a beat there.
0: That's great confidence. Yeah. Um, Well, good luck for the rest of the campaign season. Thank you. And thanks for coming on B-Side Stories. Yeah.
1: That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks, New Zealand On Air, for funding the Access Internet Radio Project.